We did it. We got to 100 episodes. There are now approximately 150 hours of me speaking out in the universe. You're welcome, folks. You're welcome. But before we get started, are you a small business trying to get things done with limited time and resources? Everything's up in the air. We've just gone into lockdown again, but we've still got shit to do, right? Overflowsupport.co.nz is here to lend a helping hand with admin tasks, large or small. Paying for full or part-time staff when you just need a bit of extra help isn't really achievable for a lot of businesses. With Overflow Support, you just book the time you need when you need it. Find out more at overflowsupport.co.nz Welcome to Don't Give Up Your Day Job, the podcast, the only podcast you need. Today on the show we have a special guest, Debbie Harwood, um, but before we get to that we have another special guest, Bobby Kennedy is in the house. Hey, how's it going man? You well? I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. How yep. are you? Yeah, well, yeah, same thing man. I think everyone's probably at that point now where they're just getting through, eh? Yeah. You know, yeah. doing what you have to do to push through all of the, the noise, the chaos, the fucking whatever this is we're in the middle of right right and this is the first time we've caught up uh since the whole thing since covid since the lockdown yeah and i have a clip here from the episode we recorded at the start of the year so hold fire and have a listen to this but i have been thinking a little bit lately about what this year what you know 2019 2020 has in in store for us oh i see yeah Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. and um what do you think the big issue this year is going to be, just in general terms? Apart from the world burning down? Um, yeah, well, that's, a, that's an issue. That's a topic. What do you, give me some. Give me a narrower context. Well, okay. Um, yeah, I guess we could, in the context of maybe the world burning down around us, um, <laughs> the the whole Iran-US thing that sparked up in the last couple of days, right. that could be, you know, that should be something we could watch for. Mm. I've been um, well ensconced in the whole um, impeachment trial of yes. Donald Trump. Yes. And more and more, I'm thinking it's all just a big fucking show. It is, man. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it, in, in a way, it's scripted and it's... You always go far deeper than me on well, the conspiracy man, look, stuff. I just think, how could it not be? <laughs> Doesn't that feel like a world ago? It like does. A, a lifetime ago, I mean? Yeah. I mean, we're, at the start of the year, there was a sense of doom because right. the, the, the Iranian situation, yeah. the impeachment, Brexit, um, the Australia was on fire. And, and we're like, holy shit, this is looking pretty bad. So for reference, we're back into real time now. Eh? Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. A, this is, a, a, oh, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> How will they know? We're back into po- post-war COVID times or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I didn't, I can't even remember recording that. But it, even then it seemed dire. And then we hadn't even got into COVID at that we didn't, point. We didn't know. I think we right. recorded that a week or so into January. Right. Okay. And then yeah. come February, March, it was all on. Eh? I don't remember when I first heard about it. Was it late January that it came up? I th- think so. Well, we, we definitely heard about it at my house because my wife is Chinese and there was a lot going on over there in China. Yeah. And I think it had read its head over there in November or December. Right. And things were starting to close down. And uh, she was yeah, saying things like, why isn't the government closing the borders and things like that? And I'm mm. like, it's just the flu. You know, <laughs> why would we do that? Don't be so ridiculous. Right. And then a few weeks later, months, six weeks or whatever. It was all on, I think. Yeah, it, it it moved very quickly at one point, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think, not just that, I don't think the overall world uh, situation has improved, not politically, but um, COVID certainly hasn't helped. And I think economically we are in for a 
very bumpy ride right. soon. Uh, the world economy sort of doesn't turn on a dime. So these, the effects of COVID, I mean, it's still going on. That's the thing outside mm. the borders of this country. Yeah. We're in a weird still, little bubble here. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, yeah. Yeah. We're sort of relaxing a little bit here because it doesn't feel real, I don't think. No. Yeah. yeah. And who knows if we're in for a second resurgence or, mm. or what's going to happen there. But So do you have any new conspiracy theories? Uh, you know what? You're, always, feeling, you're always good for it. I had a feeling you might ask me about this. Um, I've gone from the impeachment thing w- with Trump because you know, because it's scripted. He's yeah. not going. He's not going anywhere. Right. Um, you don't think he's going to get voted out? I, even if he does, he's not going to leave the office. No. He's not. What are they going to do? Send in the army? I hope that someone handles him. I Look, hope that they pick him up and literally carry him. I out. mean, as of this, if as if it couldn't get any fucking crazier. Mm. Other, you know, beyond. Why don't you inject Dettol into your veins <laughs> to kill the virus? You'd think that that's the low of the low, right? But now the dude is sending an unmarked militia to cities to basically abduct people off the off the ro- you know the the streets mm. for um, peacefully protesting. Yeah, and he's threatening to do that to move those militia or extend that to other cities. Yeah, so it's fucking crazy times but i moved on from that one um to <laughs> to the whole jeffrey epstein and Ghislaine maxwell thing so okay. who knows we may reference this one in a couple of months when um when Ghislaine maxwell suicides herself and um in prison right but there must be a lot of people out there who are sweating um bricks right now with mm. her you know being locked up <laughs> and free to speak i guess um because the r- rumor has it she has all of the videos. Right. Every one of those rooms had a pinhole camera. Well, that's not really a conspiracy theory, though. Oh, but the, the conspiracy is that, well, f- firstly, the most powerful people in the world uh, were involved with Epstein, and right. then now they're going to find a way to rid themselves of this yeah. Ghislaine Maxwell woman. But um, what I was alluding to before when I said I thought you were going to mention this, so I researched, well, I didn't research, <laughs> I watched the John Oliver show the other day, um, mm-hmm. last week with John Oliver, and, and this week's episode was about conspiracy theories. Right. And there were some very sobering things. I only re- really ever approach conspiracy theories because they're fun and it's a little bit of, um, it take you out of the normal world, really. Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I have the time to look into it enough to have an opinion about well, this is exactly the reason why this is a conspiracy or whatever. Yeah. It's just a little bit of fun. But what was said on that show kind of brought some some home truths um, to the fore. And it was there's a certain bias in psychology where people think that um, because a, a world-changing event has happened, it must have had a number of people, high-powered, uh, rich or whatever, powerful people or a group of people to be able to make that world-changing event come about. You know? Right. Yeah. And the example that they often use when they cite this uh, is the um, Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you believe there was a lone gunman or not, the ramifications of killing President Kennedy are obviously vast and wide-ranging. Yeah. So, therefore, it must have been a massive plot to be right. able to, to pull off that. Yeah. And and then they compare it to the Ronald Reagan attempted assassination where he didn't die. Yeah. And that was just some crazy lone gunman. Right. Right? But if he had died, then it probably would have been a bigger um, thing. So, people... These things, they can't comprehend them because they're such a massive thing to take in. So it must have been a big cabal of um, lizard people that <laughs> <laughs> that made it happen sort of thing. I mean, so. it's one thing to, to play around with the ideas, but it's another thing when people get in, right, seriously into them. You know? yeah. yeah. And and I don't know why we can't see our own patterns as, as a species. You know, like we're not very good at, at staying in line with 
fact and reality. <laughs> you yeah, know, which, we, we, we always go, we, I don't understand this. It must be God, you know, or it must yeah, be, yeah. it must be some, some spiritual thing or whatever. Like we just, we have a very, very strange hold. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, but that, that in and of itself should tell you that that blows conspiracy out of the water because mm. you'd have to have thousands of people. I think they estimated like 400,000 people would have to have kept their mouths shut that's for right. the moon landing to have been pulled off you exactly know? yeah people can't even organize you know meetings on fucking a surprise birthday party. Zoom. <laughs> yeah a surprise birthday party you know yeah. without someone knowing about it exactly um, so um the other reason why you're here of course is because we're up to 100 episodes yeah well fuck congratulations man you've done a lot of the heavy lifting i've said this before <laughs> uh you've done all of the heavy lifting in the last probably year yeah uh, as i've been out of the picture with um, family and some people still ask me like work. what's what's going on with bobby did you guys, you know, fall out or something? Or oh, really? No, no, no. Yeah, I you thought, know. I wondered if people might think that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you've been on the show um, yeah. here and there, and yeah. it's been quite clear that there's, ne- you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> there was never a problem. You just had shit going on. Yeah. You know? No. I mean, you are a prick, but why would I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I figured that might happen, and it's probably, and, and I really appreciate you inviting me back for this um, auspicious occasion. Yeah. And 100, fuck, it doesn't feel like that long ago since, you know, we teamed up in your home studio well for the first and one for the first one yeah yeah so how long ago was that three years no it's longer than that <laughs> four years ago F- yeah four and a half holy shit yeah. okay beginning of 2016 wow yeah that that has gone really quickly it has but the caliber of the of the um guests you've had on man i, d- I don't know how you've continued to do it and and then have a life of your own, you know, because it's not easy putting these shows together. Yeah. Not no, easy. It's a, it's a big job. And I, I often think, am I going to run out of guests soon? You know? Yeah. Start and, from and, the start again. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but then I just then I just think of more people and, you know, um, yeah. some people, you know, ask to be on and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so it's, it's so far that uh, that's never happened, yeah. obviously. Um, I do, if I'm completely honest, I do probably every second day think maybe I shouldn't do it anymore. Right. You know, yeah. I think maybe maybe that's enough. Yeah. Um. You know, especially as um, episode 100 was approaching, I was thinking, is 100 enough? Yeah. Right. Okay. You know, have we have we made the points we needed to make? Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Whatever. Whatever this was for. So if it was a, if it was to go off um, or to develop some in another way, what where did you think it could head? In a different direction. Yeah. Well, one thing I one idea I've had was to take off the name your day job and just call Don't the show. Up. Don't give up. You know, mate, that that is the sentiment we need right now yeah. with people is just and also don't give in don't give yes. in to despair don't give in to uh we were saying before we before the um this recording yeah this you've seen instances where this has brought out the absolute best in people yeah but it's also brought out the absolute worst in other people you That's know right. yeah um yeah mass unemployment's about to hit us all of this other stuff that's coming down the line don't given to despair right you know yeah and i think even before covid happened i think there was a a, a general sort of sense of pe- people i think are overwhelmed you know yeah. because it's th- there seems to be a lot of bad news going on right and yeah. um it doesn't feel like anything's working i think yeah. it's generally across the board you know right. especially for us in the music industry i mean we've basically been working amongst bad news for 20 years yeah haven't we you know like mm. 20 years ago napster piracy and it's just one thing after another since then. Yeah. Um, and we've we've watched our industry just go down, 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 down. You know. Yeah. Um, and but now more than ever, people need us. They, they need, need the creative people. Absolutely. They need. They need a distraction. They need to be taken away from their lives for a little bit. You know. Yeah, that's um, right. 
So just don't give up on it. Don't give in to um, all the negative. It's hard. I do it. Same as you. You know, yeah. you wake up in the morning sometimes and you're sitting down and having your cereal or whatever you do, mm. coffee and go, fuck, what has today got in store? Right. What? I don't think I can handle another piece of bad news today or... But this is the thing, like, you know, one of the positives that I've found is I think this year has helped me really appreciate um, what I do have. You right. Know? So you were saying you might truncate the name down to don't give up. Well, I played with the idea. Yeah. yeah I thought about it. So what's behind, what's driving that that thought? Um, I think the nature of the podcast changed organically over the years because when we started it, mm. you know, we were, we were, I guess, making a bit more of a point about behind the scenes of the you know a career in the arts and that sort of thing yeah and what i realized is i didn't need to push any kind of agenda in the conversations because they yeah. happen on their own right you know people yeah. just telling their stories you yeah. know whatever points are there just rise to the surface uh-huh. so then i just changed my approach i guess right i just started to consciously go well i don't need to constantly ask the same questions or mm. lead the conversation to certain things um i can just go with it Right and and more facilitate their them telling their stories and yeah you know oh, that's the thing people connect with man yeah and most of our guests have a, a a kind of dynamic to their story of overcoming something I mean it's hard to get a career going it's hard to get a career going anyway but to get True. a career going in the arts you know yeah um, yep. so most of our guests have had stories about things going wrong struggle struggle yeah, yeah. and then working through it yeah um, and to me that's a story of hope yeah of course. And and so with our guest today, did you say before it's a double whammy episode? Yeah. So we recorded an episode um, with Debbie Harwood, yep. and then Debbie called me a few days later, or emailed me a few days later, and said, "There's a bunch of stories I've I've been thinking about. I think she had she had gone home and she had started to remember more funny things that had happened in her career. Right. So she came back and said, "Can I do another one?" Okay. <laughs> and then I said, "Well, why don't we make this a two-parter?" And I was already looking for something special to do for the 100th episode. So right. now it's episode 100 and episode 101. Right. Excellent. Right. So they're, they're quite different episodes. The first episode, I'm doing my usual thing. I've got my normal approach and structure. Yeah. Second episode, I don't have any structure because I don't know what Debbie's about to say. Right. Excellent. <laughs> so we've got two to get through. So should we go to part one? Okay. And then we'll be back in a week or so for part two. Nice. Here we go. Now let's do this. Annie Kramer always, always says to people, don't ask me anything after a gig because I will tell you the truth. <laughs> Which I really, and that's so true. Like, there are suddenly all barriers go out and go down. And, right. yeah. and especially when you're in a group. I mean, if, oh, goodness, we had some situations with When the Cat's Away where <laughs> we were, oh, this is so embarrassing. Normally. <laughs> Good, we're starting with the embarrassing stuff. Yeah, the embarrassing stuff, you just get straight into that. Yeah, yeah. You normally, in the olden days, you know, you were stuck in a tiny band room at the Glue Pod or the Windsor Castle or somewhere. And so you were all confined and the door was shut and you, and you made sure no one came in because yeah, yeah. often either you were getting changed or the conversations were just out of control but then we did a bigger tour and we went outside and we were doing outdoor shows and right. you know um, wineries and just big outdoor things and our band room was a tent <laughs> <laughs> and of course we'd get off, it's funny, tents are quite thin 
Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the wall department and, and Flappy in the door department. So And leaky on the audio department. And very leaky. Yeah. And we would be in there and we our post gig, the conversations would just fly. Yeah. And we're, you know, just, oh, you know, one would ever imagine that we would be talking like that um, <laughs> on every level possible. <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you. I can remember some of the conversations, actually, but I won't go there. And because um, the, the band and, and uh, all the crew and all the, everyone else involved were just sort of stand outside the tent and we would feel completely safe in the in the walls you know right but we weren't so oh my goodness <laughs> I, there's there would be some great stories out there were there were there comments you made about people you were working with accidentally mostly no because the thing about getting up out of your little body yeah and up out of your human world it mm. doesn't become about people or little small things mm. um, minutia it becomes about bigger things so you start talking about what you think and believe and often that you know you, you go or what what you do or how you you know it becomes bigger right. and so yeah. it's far more personal right you know? <laughs> <laughs> I once got criticized by this toxic person um, who accused me of acting like a rock star. Um, oh at a gig, right? At and a I, gig. And I was having a conversation. Yeah, I was having a conversation with um, a colleague. We were just talking about him, um, and he said, "That's just bullshit." You know, like when you're at a gig, you're about to walk out in front of thousands of people. There's, it's such an unnatural thing to do. Oh my god! Yes. You have to become a rock star. Oh, yeah. You have to get your brain and you know, it's yeah. not arrogance. It's no. it's preparing your mind for something that's not normal. <laughs> well, see, I think it's yes, yeah, it's the fight or flight uh, yeah. instinct too. You yeah. know, I'm catatonic on a, on a show day. I can't speak so people think oh she's stuck up because they and so, so we you know we wouldn't let anyone into the room before we gigged right because the tension <laughs> and the tightness in us and we couldn't talk and we'd be pacing up and down and this is how I am with my band now but that's not nerves is it that's more like adrenaline or something it's terror in my case terror <laughs> Uh, really but terror but also that prep that prep because you know you, you've got this thing all the time that what if I fuck it up tonight? Right. What if tonight is the night that one of those dreams I have where I walk on stage naked and I have to play a bass guitar and I've never played bass in my life before and I don't know the words? What if that happens tonight? Yeah. And so that's going through your head. So you're in this high alert thing. You want to get it right. You want to be good. You don't want to let anyone down. Right. And so are you very quiet? And then you get on stage and after a few songs, you know, you realize that you're actually safe. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, want, you know, and the roar of the crowd. So you want to get some feedback happening. And then it it just builds, 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 builds. And then by the time you get on stage, you can't shut us up. <laughs> it's but, a pretty weird thing. Because I noticed about myself that, because I used to sometimes think it was nerves, but it wasn't, I realized it wasn't nervousness because I've been on stage since I was a kid. So oh, I'm, right. I'm so comfortable with yeah, the idea of thing. it. Yeah. It's more that I'm, kind of playing it through in my mind yes. thinking of all of the things that could go wrong yes. in my way of trying to work them out you know exactly um, which is sort of what you were just saying yeah but i'm thinking like i've got to remember to plug this into that and take that off standby and stand there when the light moves that way and you know <laughs> what i mean right. and sort of like going through the steps in my head it's very heightened yeah very tense and people don't understand that that's right at all and they're observing it and, and of god if they were in that position they'd get it in a millisecond <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, they'd, they'd suddenly understand, yeah. It, yeah. And that's why I've always actually preferred um, uh, green rooms that are quiet, you know. I, oh, yeah. I, I, I quite like to sort of, I don't, need, I don't need to be on my own, but I do like a peaceful environment. Totally. You know? Oh, no, you can't. And you can't have people that are yabbering at you. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I can't have a conversation with people and I'll say to people, don't talk to me because I won't answer you because my brain <laughs> is in the second verse of the second song that I'm yeah. going to do tonight. And I won't be I won't be listening to what you're saying. But when you come off stage, are you saying you're, you're suddenly talkative? Because it takes me a while. Um, yes, no, we're crazy for about, 
I'll tell you what happens. We come on stage, we're mental for about yeah. at least 20 minutes. Right. And we used to keep the door shut. And all your friends and family want to come and see you straight after your show. And yeah. you were still actually not back in your body. No. You're still crazy, mental, out, mm. you know, out outside of your body. So it's the last thing you can handle is someone coming at you. <laughs> um, we, we're fine in our contained place with my band or whatever. And yeah. um, so 20 minutes and then suddenly you crash back down into your body and you're starving. <laughs> Literally. And then you find yeah. out that Burger King just shut. That's right. <laughs> and you're like, damn it. So how would you explain to someone what it is like that experience on stage that takes you so far away from reality? You know, how would you explain that to the novice who hasn't done it before? Okay. To the people that aren't sort of, in inverted commas, gaudy in the sense of, and I don't mean in a religious sense, but if you're not in a spiritual kind of way. Right. Literally, it's very possibly oxygen. <laughs> It's a science. It's science. Right. It's, it's, it's either we're getting so much oxygen from hauling and hauling and hauling oh, yeah. and so much oxygen. Or really an interesting theory I haven't thought of before. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, except that, and of course, I spent twenty five years singing in smoke packed right. rooms. I'm not sure there was much oxygen there. Yeah. With the window shut, um, <laughs> it's either that. But I feel like it's something else. I feel like it is. I've often thought that musicians is in this. You know. <laughs> This isn't said in up yourself kind of way, right? But I feel we're sort of I say it like this I say we're sort of closer to the door of heaven in the sense that this yeah. music is a link. Yeah. I think to whatever is beyond and whatever's going on here, whatever that is. Right. I think we somehow get closer, which is why it's hard for us. And but but then human the human mind can't really work with that because we're often very poor mm. and don't have much status. Yeah. So they go, oh, they can't be that, you know, interesting. But I think that, I think we lead people there and I, as close as you can get on this earth. Yeah. And so I think that's what happens. I think we just end up, I always feel like I'm out. And, and if you talk to the other women, they would probably say the same thing. Right. Um, that you're actually out of your body. Yeah. And you're connecting with something else that you're not in control of. I've often said, you know, when you know what it's like, Danny, when yeah. you get, when you get a flow on with a lead break or a, or when you're singing and you're not actually you're not actually in it. You're actually watching yourself going, Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although as soon as you do that you can't crash back into physical body. But right. but you fly in a way that, you know, if someone off the cuff asked you to sing and I would just be a mess you know mm. I'd all go oh, you can't sing you know because <laughs> I rely on that thing that yeah. takes me up out of my body into another place and right. I will always say it is like whatever channeling is that's what it feels like it feels like something else is happening coming through you that you're part of you're the vessel but you're part of but you're not really it yeah yeah see one of my theories is that when we communicate in everyday life you know, using language, we have this amazing advantage over every other species because we have this language, right? Yeah. So we, we think we're amazing at communicating. But actually, our language gets in the way of what we're trying to say a lot of the time. Oh my you know, and we've got, you know, you know we, we misunderstand each other. We use weird references. Yeah. We default to small talk. Yes. There's, there's actually all these barriers in language. And totally But good. I think music is a very pure language because yeah. we don't get bogged down by by you know um lingo and and slang and you know yeah, it's, it's meaning more and, right yeah so i feel like at least for myself and it really does depend on the type of show i'm doing because i certainly can't say it about any anything i've done but i feel like it's the most sort of organic honest pure you know version of myself i go on stage to stop it's, acting and i come off stage to yeah, act exactly come back into the world and yeah. have to play that part again yeah. And it's jolting sometimes oh, to come totally back agree. into the bullshit. I totally agree. And words do not, <laughs> in most cases, do not actually explain 
what's going on. And I think music mm. is five dimensions. I think it's it's bigger, uh, much bigger, that you could try, you try and explain to someone what a live show can feel like. Right. And for us, you know, being on a stage and having these shows that are just magic. Yeah. And you know that it's fleeting. You know you can never grab it again you know, until you have another show like that, but mm. that, those moments are gone. That's right. Um, we, they, they, nothing quantifies it. We've got nothing to show for it. Yeah. It's just a moment in time that we have over and over again, um, but we go home and everything just defaults back to this sort of hard, cold, light of day kind of vibe. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, words don't, you know, languages, I totally agree, as, as, which is probably why, this isn't just an interesting aside. Yeah, I the, whole, abs- the whole podcast is an aside. <laughs> That's why I loved singing in Te Reo. Right. Because um, this was years ago with Moana and uh, Maniapoto. Uh, I didn't know what I was singing. Right. You didn't understand. Um, it. I knew some words, mm. but not all of it. But I certainly knew the emotion. Yeah. And I didn't get stuck in the words and the meaning of the words like you do with English. You right. Know? So you get an English sentence and you're thinking about what that means, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Ray was a preacher son, was he? You know, you don't get caught up in that. You, you're only caught up in the actual five dimensions of that magic right. of music. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the reasons why in recent years I've, I've really fallen in love again with instrumental music. Quite right. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's to me, it's like a relief. It's like a holiday. Yes. You know, and, I, I and, I, and I'm a lyric writer. I've always been one, you know, but it's <laughs> nice to, to listen to music that's just music. I totally, I, I'm an instrumental person. Yeah. I love it. I, I often make jokes about, oh, there's somebody mumbling all over the lovely music. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, sometimes I do not want to hear words or yeah. a voice. I want, want to just immerse myself. And my brother was in a brilliant instrumental band called Tuatara in right. uh, Seattle with um, Peter Buck from REM and a few other famous people. Oh, they were wow. like an instrumental super group and and. Uh, and it's Justin, my brother, and I love every single album. There's not a single singer on it. Right. Well, they, they're the ones I drag out when I'm not in the mood to think. Yeah. If I want to feel, they're the, you know, I love instrumental. That's right, yeah. So you've been, how have you been dealing with the recent lockdown? You said on email that you'd actually quite enjoyed it. <laughs> I loved it. Um, there are a couple of reasons for that. So because I've, because I've been had severe heart failure for three years now, right. my life is pretty isolated anyway. Yeah. I, I can't move. So severe heart failure sounds severe. It's really awful. What, what is it? Basically, my heart's 95 yeah. um, and my lungs are 80. Right. So, um, but I'm only 59, so, you know, I've got my lippy on and everything, but <laughs> internally nothing's functioning. <laughs> is that just bad luck or is that a life? I think it's exactly or? what we were talking about. Right. Yeah. I think it's, uh, we... Especially gigging in those days in those in the venues six five or six nights a week for yeah. years on end, mm. way before when the cat's away, um, in smoke filled rooms and no money, often no food. Yeah, in those days we never got paid. God, I can't remember the first time I got paid. You just lived off your wits. Right. I don't mean stealing. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, people's generosity or um, they might get one meal at the pub you're playing at or right. something like that. You wouldn't get paid? No. Not, no, not playing at pubs? No, because we, we always took the risk. So we were we would, you know, tour through the venue and take the door. Oh, I see. Right. But pay for the van and the accommodation and the right. PA. And I was thinking about that this before. We're probably the only occupation yeah. that w- is prepared to spend all their time, all their resources, all their money, all their energy right. on something that may not or and probably won't give them anything back yeah. except that magic we're talking about on right. that stage. Yeah. 
So musicians die young, generally, you know, mm. and they did that amazing survey in Australia and they found out that musicians, working musicians, um, life expectancy is 57 years old. Really? Yes. Wow. Um, and that's because of that. Yeah. You know? So yeah. no other person would throw thousands of dollars into a recording or knowing that they were never going to see that money again. It mm. takes a certain type of person. Yep. Um, and it's usually a very sensitive archetype mm-hmm. as well. So, um, and often there's, you know, a shy, quite a shy archetype, which people don't really believe. Right. Because they see you on a stage, they assume you want you up there because you want to be famous. Yeah. <laughs> but which, you're actually up there because you're looking, searching for that place. That's right. Um, Although that's not necessarily the same these days. It seems, no, it seems no. to have changed these days. It has a lot. And, that's, yeah. and I, th- I think because so much of the music is being generated out of accountant-driven record companies That's or right. whatever yep. you know once yep. you've got that going on and so i but i get really upset about that so i can't look <laughs> so I go, oh. yeah. and and people assume because of um when the cats away is success for those few years yeah that our whole career was like that and we were just always you know hilton darling <laughs> yeah, and um, right. you know dragging ourselves around new zealand being paid enormous amounts of money and everything but the majority of my life has been gigging for virtually nothing right. except for corporate shows you know which keep you going see what you're saying about the the artists uh, who, you know who who invest all this time and energy and money into their career and never usually see it back mm. um which is usually framed in a way that they're they're desperate or misguided or something like that yeah i've started to change my view on that a little bit in, in recent years because i think most people just exist and that you know yes. they just fall into line and they exist and they never take on the adventure no. Whatever that is, doesn't yeah, have to be whatever. music, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and society is really good at teaching people to fear, you know, yeah. taking risks, stepping out. And so when you go, you know, well, I don't know if it's going to work, but you know, because I've thought about that with the albums I've made, I've made money back on on um, a couple of them, but not all of them. And um, yeah. and I and I think, well, I'd rather have made the album though. You know, because exactly. that, that's a life. Yeah. If I had just talked about it, then I'm like, oh, I wish I'd yeah. made the album. Yeah, you know what I mean? It doesn't exist. Then. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's actually commendable in a way. It's it's pretty brave. To take I on th- the gamble. Yeah, no, that was a very courageous person that can do that. And I think people are very much in society underestimate musicians. Right. And their natures. Yeah. And they assume, assume that, or every single musician I know that's made a mark, and, and whether they're poor or die young or whatever, <laughs> whoops, have... Uh, very intelligent. Yes. Yeah. And very sensitive. Yeah. Um, exactly. People assume if you're a musician, I don't know if you they they think, oh, I could have done that if I'd wanted to be a loser. But I um <laughs> I uh, right. do, I chose not to. Yeah, I yeah. chose to go into business studies, and now I run my company. Right. A lot of people think that we've just actually chosen to be losers, and that we're a bit stupid. And <laughs> or they think that everything's great. Yeah, you're just having great. you're just having fun the whole time because you love what you do. People always say that to me. It must be amazing to do what you love, and mm. I often say, "Well, I don't always love it." <laughs> no, exactly. And you the know? and the other one, you're so lucky that you can do yeah. that. And I'm yeah. like, oh, luck is it? Really? Really? I climbed up that fucking mountain by my fingernails. <laughs> I don't know if that's luck. <laughs> There's nothing to do with And I got life. to the top and there's nothing there and I'm cold. I know, I'm freezing to death and I'm going to die. <laughs> no, luck has nothing to do with it. And that one drives me completely nuts yeah. when people say, oh, I wish I was you. I'm like, really? Right. Okay, we'll see how far you could get. And you know, maybe two nights in a freezing cold van and you might be, you know, <laughs> calling the police. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's actually incredibly hard. And you do wonder why we do it sometimes because oh, yeah. it just looks insane. Every day. <laughs> yeah. 
Every day. And, and then the next question is, why do I still do it? Yeah. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, you look at other people, or at least my, I do, I look at other people with normal jobs and normal lives more and more with envy. <laughs> they oh, they yeah. look so peaceful. I know they look really calm and they're planning their holidays and their yeah. dinners with their friends. And these things that we never had. We never had that when we were younger right. because we were always on the, gigging on the weekends. You're available on Saturday nights. Doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen. <laughs> we don't get invited anywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. In fact, they go on their skiing trips and we're gigging. You know, so I'm, you know, we... We don't have holidays. There's mm. no infrastructure. There's no one go to and say, "Excuse me, but I'm not very happy with my work That's environment." Right. Yep. Um, I think the water cooler should be a little bit colder. <laughs> you know, it comes down to that kind of stuff, which I've never related to. It's always like, get yeah. out there and throw yourself off a yeah. cliff. I, I think it's hard, and I think well, we don't have the safety mechanisms. You know, no we, we don't have any contracts. When's the no. last time you saw a contract? Yeah, we know we you don't. Know. And if it was a contract, it was probably fucked anyway. <laughs> that's right. You probably wouldn't want to sign it. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I know. No, no, that's right. We have no yeah. safety and no guarantees. Yeah, no holiday pay, nothing. No. Nope. Yeah. And often, um, what I've really struggled with is is the lack of professionalism across the board, especially with people you're working for, managers, band leaders, that kind of thing. It's got really bad. It's got oh, really bad. Oh, it was used to be quite good. Did it? Yeah. That might be before my time. Yeah, the 80s. Were they, was that before your time, Danny? Yes. Well, I was, al- I was alive. <laughs> yes, but... yes, only yeah. just. Yeah. Yeah, the 80s was pretty organised, actually. The was f- it? few people that had their shit together. Um, and so there was a better structure. It was wild within that structure. Sure. And hard work and hard to make money. And mm. every band that I know that I love, you know, broke up owing money. Right. And in the early 80s, even the ones we revere now, there was a shit. Right back yeah. there, you know, but, yeah. but there were organised tours and, and some, um, you know, more structure than there is now. And right. a lot more knowledge and a lot more knowledge sonically. Right. So we, we had much higher standards sound-wise and like on stage sound and, yeah. On stage, yeah, production, even recording, it's, 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 it's changed. It's got really little now yeah. compared to what it was. I mean, that's why it was so expensive back then. Is that, I mean, do you think that that's also because there was less... There were less options in the technology, so people had to know how to use it better. The good news was we didn't know how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, like engineers. Yeah, the engineer. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and very few. You know, a couple of. And, and you couldn't make music unless you were at the, you know, the cream of the crop. Right. So only a few bands was through. So we're talking, and from what I, the bands I love, for instance, mm. with Hello Sailor and the Dudes and all of that, like, they had to be fucking amazing right. to even get into a recording studio. The, um. And and so only they were recorded in these magnificent rooms with these you know, analog discs, yeah. and and then the digital thing happened early eighties. So I think that, and then, so there wasn't this glut of music, mm. uh, and so there was more chance of a band having you know making a, a mark. Yeah, but they still all broke up in debt. <laughs> you know, yeah. so they they broke up in debt. But the industry we used to be so pissed off at the um, music awards. We'd all t- you know I had to. In the early 80s, borrow clothes to go to the music awards, and there'd be 150 or 200 people there total. Right. Um, but it was it's the recording industry awards, so it's run by the recording industry. So yeah. they were there in their suits and their 
and their money, yeah. and and the musicians would all drag themselves there, starving, and eat everything they could find, and drink everything they could find, and then drag <laughs> ourselves home. The yes, yeah, up for the week, <laughs> and then drag ourselves home. So we found it sort of really, um, not we found it weird, and they weren't um, broadcast then, right? So we would <laughs> we'd all turn up so desperate to have for food and drinks, um, <laughs> we'd just get absolutely hammered, and end up all on the floor. And the, the industry, I mean, they were. They were paid, you know, they had wages and yeah. salaries. and Nothing's know. changed. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you the other day, because um, I recorded an EP in last October. Awesome. Called The Sun. Yeah. Five tracks that I've been meaning to record for years and I just procrastinated. That's one of my problems is procrastination. Right. Um, and I sort of waited, waited to see how this whole streaming thing works and Spotify and all these modern ways mm-hmm. um, for my... Um, you know, royalty statement, <laughs> which when I say arrived a month ago, um, I got a note saying we only send statements out if you earn more than $40. Right. And I didn't get one. No. And I spent, I don't know, I can't even tell you how much I spent on it. And then um, I spent weeks promoting it. And we don't get yep. paid for that. We don't get paid, as you know, for playing on television. That's right. We don't get paid for playing on or going on radio. If you can get on television and radio, by yeah, the way. You know, not, we're not all Debbie Harwood. So you end up there giving up all this time anyway, and yeah. then you do all this, and, you, and everyone goes, we love it, Debbie, it's amazing, and then you don't even make $40. Right. Yeah. Uh, you must it, be with a different aggregator to me because I get the statements that tell me how much debt I'm in. <laughs> oh, I got one for when the cat's away that said that we yeah. owed them. We'd, we'd, someone had streamed, streamed thousands of things. Yeah. And they said we owed them $9.60 or something. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah. What's happened? Yeah, yeah. It was bad before, but that's really bad. Oh, well, I mean, you know, what, what, are, what are your opinions on streaming? Because, I mean, I, I can't believe that everybody's still positive about it. I think it's, well, from a musician's perspective, I think it's horrific. Yeah. We could make more from selling two CDs 10 years exactly. ago. Exactly, yeah. And so why was, is it working for us? I was really surprised when, when everything, when we locked down recently, that number of, you know, reputable companies in our industry said, well, support New Zealand music and stream their music. Yeah. To support artists who are now broke. And I'm like, how the fuck? What, yeah. you know, what yeah. was that conversation? All, yeah. all made by people with salaries, by the way. Oh, exactly. And I have people saying to me, oh, well, $25 better than nothing. I'm like, oh, you know, it's right. a miracle we're not all serial killers. I know. <laughs> what a strange argument. You know, I, I, I make the argument. Imagine if someone's earning, let's say, 80K a year and you say, okay, we're going to change things up a little bit. Now we're going to pay you $80 a year. Yeah. And they go, oh, sweet, bro. Yeah, because $80 is better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's better than nothing, though, isn't it? You and know, you love what you're doing. Yeah, right. And you're so lucky to be able to do it. <laughs> That's right. Who are you people? I know. I know. It's the weirdest profession yeah. in the entire world. Yeah. Um, and you don't even know where to start. So lockdown was fun. I'll, right. I'll, go, I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, bring yeah, us yeah, back yeah. to that. In a sense, I was already lying on the couch most of the time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly, there were no humans that I had to interact with. And, mm. you know, most people who know me would think that I loved people. And I think I thought I did. Right. But what I realized is that I have terrible social anxiety. Right. That I've been managing my whole life and not very well, <laughs> usually with wine. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and that was fascinating. Do you so, know where it came from? Uh, probably very early childhood, I think. Right. Very early stuff. 
just and 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 then it makes because you're lying on the couch for seven weeks, you get thinking, thinking about it, yeah, you know. And I yeah. think I've got a lot of cortisol happening and a lot of um and part of my people pleasing nature, mm. which I've got in spades. I've always thought that's just because I like doing that, right? But actually, I think it's a t- a, t- a fear of being rejected right yeah. or being unloved or whatever mm. so it's you know i'm going to have a look at that i might go and do some counseling <laughs> on that one because it was fascinating and as soon as the lockdown opened i was like oh no you know i started off okay i yeah. started off okay at the beginning and i was revising a whole lot of stuff i'd um learned when i was younger right and i was really enjoying that and then i turned into jack nicholson in the shining <laughs> <laughs> in the middle and I just was like, oh, no one needs to see this. Right. This is bad. You know, like my hair and oh, I think I did actually have a beard. Um, and, and then by the end, I sort of came right, thank God, by the time the doors opened again, yeah. I got tidy and managed to brush my teeth, um, which was good. But I, I actually quite enjoyed it. And with hindsight, it was a very short period of time. It was really. But we didn't know that, though. That's no, a, I think that's that was the thing. If we had known it was only going to be in New Zealand a couple of months... Yeah. I think it would have been a bit easier. Yeah, we would have handled it. And we're lucky it was. Well, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. No, we're it's... not. <laughs> We've still got those people trying to come into our country. I know, yeah. I mean, yeah. But it's like, <clears throat> I think a lot of us, the analogy that I think about is like um, a rock skimming across the surface of, of water. Most of us sort of live our lives like that. And suddenly yeah. when we're made to stop, we sink. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> we weren't really afloat. Wasn't it interesting to yeah. see of, of our friends who coped and who didn't. Mm. It was an amazing social experiment. Yeah. Um, my very outgoing friends that, almost you know can't be alone mm. and will seek company all the time absolutely struggled right Unbel- but us introverts <laughs> us, the musicians i knew went oh this is quite nice yeah and, yeah you know and you know um they weren't in any worse worse off situation financially so. well i mean i was very careful not to let myself complain you know because i've i've worked oh, yeah. from home for 15 years so that i was quite not that was quite used to that oh yeah um, i was able to keep most of my business alive and yeah. You know, so I really had nothing to complain about, you know. No, so no. I just, there was the odd moment where you're like, this is fucking bullshit. I want to, yeah, know, yeah. I want to see my friends. Or yeah, whatever. I want to go out. Yeah. Yeah, my but, children were the ones because my son, because I'm I'm the high risk. Right. So I went in earlier than most people. I went in at two, level mm. two, one even, I can't remember now, because um, of my heart failure. So yeah. um, my son used to drop off my groceries, but I couldn't see him oh, uh, right. for six weeks right. and I only left the house twice in six weeks to take the rubbish out oh it's a bit stinky by then anyway no I'm done. anyway my son used to take it for me when he'd, he'd grab bring my groceries and then take the rubbish out yeah. but I used to hear his little feet outside my door and that that was just heartbreaking I, I shed a few tears when I couldn't see my children yeah I love them I can imagine oh. well how like so you're you're saying that some of the stuff comes probably flowing back from the childhood would mm. you describe your childhood as happy traumatic like how, how would you describe it? I had a really interesting, outwardly very energetic, very happy. Yeah. Uh, at school, loved school, high achiever. Um, but I wasn't happy at home. Right. Um, and I not really, haven't really talked about this much. My mother didn't want a daughter; she right. wanted boys. Right. And so it wasn't so much. Oh well, I happen to have a girl. Oh well, it was like you don't exist. 
Right. I don't want you. Mm. You don't matter. I don't even want to hear what you're saying. Yeah. Stop talking. Yeah. You're a female. Ugh. Right. Yuck. Yeah. So that was very interesting. So I spent most of my life scared of women. Right. Um, and of of older women or anyone. Any any female. Right. Um, and. Uh, but then when the cats, I was terrified when the cats away when we got together. Well, that was scary. Um, all these really amazing, four incredibly strong, funny, intelligent women. Yeah. All from the same kind of background. So we were all working class. You know, all of our families were poor. Uh, none of us had had. And I find that often with music because you don't don't often get working musicians out of very affluent That's right. um, backgrounds. Yeah. And, and it makes it better because mm. we get on that stage and we get it. You know, we, we understand what it's like. And yeah. that's why we can play to anyone and any anybody but I actually when I think back now I think I was getting on a stage um other than an incredible passion for music yeah. which is almost my first memory yeah is hearing music and going oh mm. you know something beautiful right and I, I think that was the most joyful part of my childhood was listening to music yeah. because it was so beautiful everything else was hard I was very scared of my mother terrified of her actually right. yeah um but I, so having music was my soothing yeah. and sucker. So I know that that's one of the main reasons, obviously, I pursued it. I could hear things in music other people couldn't hear. It was just this, I was t tuned in really strongly right. to it. And thankfully, when I was a baby and little, it was the Beatles and bands like that. So yeah. a great start. You yeah, know? absolutely. <laughs> now, where do you go from there, really? <laughs> you know. So, so um, I grew up with that. But then there's this other elements of me getting on a stage because I was desperate for approval yeah. and uh, and to be loved. The culture that I that I had in my family, especially from my father, was he would just minimise and dismiss everything, everything. he said. You know, mm -hmm. I, like whether I was hungry, had a headache, you know, was upset about something. No, 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 you're just overreacting. You know, uh, it was yeah, that put you down all the time. Yeah, and yeah. and even in more recent times, it's been it just. Plain denial. That never happened. I never did oh, that. Yeah, right. I never said that. Yeah. And so there's this part of me that's that's always wanted to get heard. And I think that kind mm. of drove my my desire to write songs. Because writing Absolutely right. when I was twelve, I re realized I could write songs and I'm like, well, here's everything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think it's a massive surprise that I pursued music and then made a podcast. No, exactly right. And most and when you are writing a song, no one else is in there. That's right. With you. It's your world. No one can shut you down. No. Yeah. And that's that's a very good point. And you can actually get it out. Right. And then you have a microphone on a stage yes. and no one can talk over no you. One can. And you're like, I'm louder than you. Yeah, yeah, it's like shit. <laughs> exactly. So, so there was, God, there was that. But also the other thing was being separate from the crowd. Yeah. Because I was scared, as it turns out, frightened of people. So I only just worked this out. So being on a stage was safe, but I looked right. like I was in the room. And not only in the room, the focus of the room. So people assumed all my life that I'm incredibly social. Right. But I realised the other day that all of my social life has been working, and I mean that by making music or my first early jobs, waitressing or waitressing while I was making bands as well. And yeah, yeah. So everything I ever did was always working. I've never been good at just social stuff for social sake because I always think, but I'm not worth anything. I should be doing something right. for these people, yeah. for them to like me because I'm wrong all the time. Right. Everything I do is wrong. Yeah. Everything. And that's how you feel when you've been treated like that as a child. And, the, and then, then as... 
you know, when the when you're older and they say that never happened, you, you know, you were just too sensitive, or it's always still your fault. Yeah, exactly. That they did that, and so you, you've got. And no you have this moment, turn. and you go, "How was it my fault that someone dumped on me?" Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, well, that's what all abusers do. Yeah, and they also will rally support from other people, right. And skew stories yeah. so that you know, which is pretty weird when it's your fundamental core base That's which right. is your family yeah you know it's sort of you could get used to people turning on you out out there somewhere right especially as a musician because you get people that want to be you or they don't like your music you you know the, the irony is you get on a stage and to be part of something to share something and in that room you know you can't please all of the people all the time so you usually have at least five or say say as I'm, I'm talking about cats a lot but it was only a short period of my time but it was a very interesting social experiment so yeah, yeah. you got the five of us across that stage and everybody had their favorite right which is something that drives me nuts about music too it's not a bloody competition mean the audience had their favorite yeah which is fine i mean you know and they'd all stand in front of us we'd be in these big venues and you know there the were archetypes it was right. fascinating to watch it and we'd have these 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 groups of people that loved us but the other ones didn't like us so oh, I, I liked her i didn't like that one so you right. put up with that for the rest of your life too oh yeah i loved you know you'll meet someone oh you're from cats we're saying oh I, I only like kim willoughby or you know and like oh thank you we, <laughs> so so we used to make jokes about that within our group all the time you did know? you have like little pockets in the audience like you know yes. all of your people stood in front of you Always, and yeah, yeah. Like, and like did, did you guys stay in the same place roughly on stage we did yeah, yeah we right. did mostly yeah we did yeah. for the first four years right and and they were they were like you could see them right to the back of the room. This, <laughs> this archetype of people, and we start. We started off actually attracting um, women, a lot of women. Right. Just thousands of women. I think they just loved that we're there. And then, then suddenly it shifted. Yeah. And then it was all men. <laughs> it ah. was so interesting. Well, I wonder how that happened. Well, well, I mean, was that an, was that an, a marketing campaign or something? That no, it was that? just it was a. No one had ever seen that many women on a stage, and I think, I don't know, I think it just made women go, yay, women on stage. <laughs> and they turned, then they, I don't know what happened, then that eased back, and then right. we were young, though, you know, so of course the boys were going to turn up, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, of course, but... Let's face it. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing that I think is really interesting about Cats Away, and I don't know whether this is an ignorant statement or not, but of course, 10 years later girl bands and boy bands become this global phenomenon. Yeah. I don't remember them really existing before that. They didn't, It's right. almost like you guys were, you know, using this model that was well before its time. It wasn't even a model. But you were, know, were, were but there just other, were there other groups that I just don't know about? No, there wasn't. We're, right. we're actually in a book that was released globally, and I'd never even thought of us as a girl or boy band, but... That's because it wasn't a thing. Turns out, well, yeah, it wasn't a thing. <laughs> yeah. And when we put ourselves together, and we did different kind of repertoire, Right. Um, I did this, oh, I was like, oh, Oh, I just got just thought of an analogy, which I'll say while I think of it. Yeah. When I when I put it together, it was about New Zealand music. Right. So I had been I had seen so many great New Zealand songs just drop through the cracks. Mm. So many. The radio weren't playing them. They were all there, and they were dying. And I, to me, it was like ch children. You know, it was like lost right. children. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. How can we get these songs? To the people. Mm. So when um, so when the band was formed, I used to, it was like a child's dinner. Right. I used to hide the 
unknown New Zealand songs in amongst songs that they loved. That would get the draw. And put them up, and my whole thing was put them up against each other so they could see that that song was as good as that song, even right. though that song was a global number one. This song was by a Christchurch band called The Wastrels and no one's ever heard it. Right. But there they go next to each other and the band are playing it and really, shit, that song's good too. That's what I was trying to do. So you're sort of taking on cultural cringe in a way. Yeah, I was, and yeah. and 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 it was very, very um, conscious. So I used to pop them all up there through, through up, up, and play them. Yeah. But then even lost Dave Dobbin songs like "Guilty" had not seen the light of day, and I just went, "Whoa, that song's business." So I right. popped that up next to you know some huge song from someone else, like Michael Jackson song or something. Um, Hard to say that one from, <laughs> um, you know, and so that was the repertoire. Yeah. But of course, because there were, and I chose covers. We all did. We all chose songs that weren't necessarily. They weren't top forty. They weren't number one songs. Often they were the best song off a very, very, very um, best selling album. Right. Because I always think the best songs are buried in, in albums, and the record company often chooses chooses the throwaway, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so if you dig into an album, you go, oh, that's the best song. So that's what we used to do. We'd take the best song off that record and then put that in the repertoire. The repertoire was fascinating. Yeah. But we, for people who didn't see us and people who hated that we were pulling huge crowds, mm. um, they, you know, defined us as a covers band. Right. And diminished us yeah, very yeah. quickly in in the media. Oh, once we not initially. Initially, they loved us, and then as soon as we started to earn money, mm. and we were women, oh, then they turned on us. Right. So then it was dumb covers being. And and we've been still. I still have issues. Have problems with some people in the industry now who will just write us off. And I'm like, oh, you've got no idea. A the environment that we were. We were performing, and every other band around that time had broken up yeah. from just not being able to make enough money, not getting airplay. Essentially, you yeah. get airplay, people turn up. Yeah. Simple as that. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't get airplay, no one comes. As simple as that. Right. And radio were terrible then, but they're not much better now. So I think they got better, and then they got worse they again. They did. They got better for a minute, and it <laughs> yeah. was very reluctant. And then they're like, oh, no. Nah. Because we're, we're back to a cover scene market now. Yeah, we are. Where some of the most popular touring artists out there are covers. Yeah. Like Whitechapel Jack, we had Bonnie on the show yes, recently. And they're exactly. killing. They're killing, yeah. You know, and uh, they're only just now talking about writing. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And yeah. it was the same environment. We mm. came out of a terrible situation. We we didn't, and I heard a few, you know, simultaneously that Cats Away were, were big. Mm. Obviously, the biggest thing at that time was Flying Nun in New Zealand. Right. Because, and they saw themselves very much as the underdog and, you know, fuck Auckland and all that. We were struggling, man. I was, <laughs> they had this beautiful little community down there. They had all the venues. They had student radio. Yeah. Student radio wouldn't play Auckland bands or what they considered mainstream bands, which I consider just songs that were recorded in a decent recording studio right. yeah. in turn and time, you know. Yeah. Um, and so they wouldn't play... Um, us either so right. mainstream radio wouldn't pass student radio wouldn't pass so we just died um, and the but, funny thing about that is someone knowledgeable recently told me that some of that flying nun stuff was recorded at Stebbings <laughs> yeah well that's the other thing is that they all you fuck you Aucklanders and they all end up signing to Auckland record companies yeah. and then the Auckland recording studios we were all in the same boat but I actually think Auckland bands had it harder right they had this great community yeah. so I was talking about how we formed out of all our bands not yeah. being able to get airplay therefore no one came to see us therefore we couldn't afford to tour anymore or play so um, they would fall apart and then but you want to sing right you want to sing and I could see all these Kiwi songs dropping by the wayside and yeah. including 
we did a straight jacket fit song and right. and yeah. uh, um, a wastrel song and other oh we did a clean song they must have hated it. I remember Martin Phillips <laughs> saying to me Deb don't ever do one of mine I'm like okay really? <laughs> oh, only because that suddenly there was this at that point there was this bad attitude about us because oh. we were we were commercial right. but um, God, I just, hate that kind of shit oh know? me too because yeah. we were all intensely musical all the women mm. um, all um, passionate about original music all come from original bands right which had had not worked and but it doesn't matter but this is an industry we yeah, we, we, we cut ourselves down constantly yeah, you know do. i mean yeah. my friends in um in america are constantly working on like crap pop music and jingles and whatever you know just making a living yeah and you guys people don't have to like you know i mean i'm now i'm talking like 30 years too late but people don't <laughs> have to like cats away but they've got to understand that you're employing a, a huge band and a big crew and you know i mean some of your musicians we've had on the show wayne bell for example oh wayne yeah yeah um a great bunch you know i mean these are this, these are real yeah brilliant musicians actually. exactly and the whole the whole the whole show was amazing you know yeah, what i mean like yeah, why, why cut that down <laughs> why oh no it's bullshit it's for this or that you know yeah and most people that do write against us or talk about us i go have you ever seen us yeah they go no exactly uh they've never been in that room right they don't actually know what we do they've just read that you know that all oh, those stupid girls you know yeah um doing dumb covers i'm going you might have us confused with another other bands it's not us you know <laughs> i'll give you their number yeah, yeah exactly. the other band <laughs> <laughs> But how did it actually start? Like now that you're saying this stuff, I'm I'm, I'm now realizing I because you said it wasn't put together, or you guys put yourselves together. Mm. Um, and it's, as soon as you said that, I thought I actually don't know the origin story. It started like for me, it started like that. Yeah. Uh, and essentially, we were at the four of us were at the eighty-five Music Awards, mm-hmm. and it was the first time all these young pop women was Margaret, sort of pop R and V, Picking Man, Diane Swan from Everything That Flies, yep. Annie Crummer. Mm-hmm. And me, and we were all either uh, we were all nominated for awards. I think two of three of two of us won, and then um, they did an article on us uh, in the Listener. Following week, just about the emergence of young women in the in the industry, because right. they'd been none, right. you know, yeah. well, for years, and the ones that had popped up had disappeared very quickly. Like Jenny Morris was sort of in the crocodiles for a second, mm. then went to Australia. Sharon and Neil, same. Um, the only women that sort of at the time it was Patsy Regan. It was all the country women. They're quite strong in New Zealand. Yeah, always were and always will be. Do, do you felt that was because of some sort of like doors were closed to women? Or was it, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, mm. were less women inclined to pursue music or were the doors closing on them? Oh, I think it was more that there were less women just going down that track. Right. It was just, uh, I don't know. It's always been a very male-dominated industry for some Very. Reason. But when I think, what well, I'm trying to grapple this because then why did I pursue it? I'm, I'm, I'm quite confused about it because for me, I didn't see any difference. But when I look back and I get asked about this a lot, yeah, yeah. it must have been um, not a great environment for women. Yeah. But it's funny because I remember having this conversation with my band when I was 15. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> I was, you know, in my school, there was like five or six main bands and yeah. they were all kind of respectful of each other, but also very com- and competitive. And um, and very few um, girls were involved. Yeah, no, and we right. were talking about it with each other. I remember us saying like, it's not like we wouldn't have a girl on the band. It's just no, that there aren't any. But where are they? Yeah. I'll tell you where they were, Danny. Yeah. I just had a flashback. Oh, yeah. They were at home doing the housework and the washing. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. So it's a more so of a societal thing. It was a, It was the time. I, yeah. I used to spend my weekends at home. My mother didn't let me out. 
I would be doing all the housework and I used to do flowers and I used to vacuum and do the washing. The boys were allowed out on their motorbikes and allowed out to play. But do you think it was also because it was already a male-dominated industry that just didn't attract girls? Yeah, it probably wasn't it in the psyche. Yeah, it probably wasn't sort of there. But when I think about it, when I think back to these a generation of women, or not generation, just women a few years older than me, yeah. the boys would form a blues band yeah. and then they would invite... Um, one of these things, but it was never female-led or driven. Right. Yeah, I think that's maybe the difference. I don't want to pretend that we were the first women to pop up, but we were. <laughs> it was unusual in one year to have suddenly four or five women there. So, with that in mind, when you were pursuing your career, did it feel like you were having to work twice as hard, or you know, you were kicking twice as hard on the doors? I think I only knew what I was experiencing and I wasn't, and because I was on this sort of, I was pursuit to make sure the New, that New Zealand oh, got New Zealand music and, and, and embraced New Zealand music, which right. it didn't. Yeah. It thought New Zealand music was crap, and this is so ironic now because everyone now goes, the dudes, and the, they <laughs> yeah. didn't, they hated them back then. They were all like, I mean, they, they pulled crowds in some venues, but they lost money. Mm. But they still struggled for airplay, and their, their charting placements weren't very good. And yeah. well, they still had trouble getting people to, the, the society to acknowledge they were as good as overseas bands. Right. And so I, that was probably my championing. So you were focused on that kind of mission. Yeah, to change the attitude of Kiwis. And I used to say, I remember I was waitressing when I was 23 at a restaurant in Auckland with a top chef, top New Zealand chef who used to go and beat the, the French right. at their own game. <laughs> and uh, he said to me, oh, what's it like being involved with crap, crap New Zealand music debate or something? <laughs> and I just looked at him and I, and I made some response to his cooking. I said, imagine if <laughs> People said that to you, and yeah. you go to France and you beat the French, you know. There's no difference. It's not crap. It's just that it's not supported yet. Right. And it hasn't been. And um, I saw it, and I used to get that on, but New Zealand music's crap. New Zealand music's crap. We used to get it all the time. Mm. So I just kept fighting. I'm a bit of a scrapper like that. I, I wasn't going to let it go. Yeah. And Did you dig in more? Because yeah, of dig in more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew the songs were amazing, and I could, like, Andrew Bruff. Yeah. You know, Down and Splendor, what a song. I mean, that's just, to me, that's, I, that's tragic that yeah. those songs initially weren't acknowledged or played. And and, and I remember the one of my great analogies, and oh, just... One of my great analogies. Oh, who, do, who do I think I am? I don't mean my analogy is great. Just what cut I mean that out is for the, a, for the yeah, promo yeah, bit. You know? uh, Debbie Harwood, one of my best analogies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I remember when um, Don't Dream It's Over was released yeah. in, um, in 1986 or something. can't remember the date, but around then. And that album, the Crowded Hearts' first album, mm-hmm. and I, I was in amongst... It, you know, it was a very small industry. Yeah. I was a musician, though. Um, and they just said, oh, it's rubbish. It's not split ends, is it? It's not it's got a split ends. <laughs> and they were like, oh, and they went on and on. And and is, who, who said this? The critics? All the radio or? programmers oh, right, right. and anyone involved. Oh, it's not very good. It's very lo-fi, you know. Anyway, it got chucked in the bins of every single... No one played it in New right. Zealand. Yeah. It wasn't until 18 months later, which is a long time in the industry, hmm. 18 months later, it got played in... America and went to number two. Yeah, suddenly it was dragged out of all of the bins and. But we always played. do that. 
Yes. But we always we always wait for something to, something to succeed before we get which behind is, it. Which is my point in the sense of yeah. let's not wait because no <laughs> yeah. one else is going to. Let's just or if they are, it's one in a million. You right. Know, yeah. Let's let's just play it now and show some brains. So that that told me as a twenty six year old that they didn't have ears. Right. And that that things needed to change because I had up to that point thought, oh, they mustn't be playing it because it's crap. But it turns out they'd actually, I'm speaking very generally here and I've got lots of really good friends in radio, but <laughs> um, it told me that they don't actually know what a great song is, which is, no. well, you know, they're not musicians. So, And I don't know what it was like back then, but these days I don't even think they're interested. Oh, no, I don't not. think it's about music anymore. They don't anymore. even listen anymore. No. Radio for a long time, in my opinion, has just been focused on advertising. You know, and, and and the songs have to fit the the model of yeah. what they play, which yeah. is usually a very narrow. Oh, like the the rock stations, yeah. for example, you you could potentially get played if you fit a very narrow version of rock. Oh, absolutely. You know, and 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 so that they can say, well, this is our demographic, and they can bring the advertisers in. And if, yeah. if you bring out something like this is this great new song by this really interesting new band yeah. with this interesting new sound, not interested. No, imagine if somebody had written Imagine here yeah. twenty years ago, and they went, ah, oh, it's a bit simple, three chords, nah, bit sappy, nah, bit sappy. Yeah, won't play it. Imagine that. And the thing is that every other country in the world plays their own music. Everybody. <laughs> right. America, England. So we, and so here's New Zealand going, oh, what's coming out of America? I'm like, what about what's coming out of here? And yeah. we think about how, well, it's just a general thing. Humans are talented. And, you know, we're great at things. Right. There, are, there was always great music coming out of New Zealand. Yeah. We didn't have the budgets often to do the flash videos, but who cares about that? Um, well, these days, who gives a shit? Yeah, and who cares? You know, anymore? we can't even make 40 bucks. You established no, that before. Right. Why, why would why we do a video? Why spend 10 grand on a video? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that that uh, sort of jump out of this, the conversation for a, for a second. The context has completely changed. Mm -hmm. And it's like the industry hasn't caught up with itself yet. You no. Know? We're still dumping loads and loads of money into recordings and videos and all that kind of stuff. And I'm waiting for everyone to figure it out and go, yeah. oh, let's go back to lo-fi, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go back to recording in our house and shooting videos on our phone. I mean, I think some people are doing it. Yeah, um, some people, apparently people say that's the way to go. But well, it has to be. I don't know how, I don't know how, where does it, but then the, the people that are signed to majors who are doing that aren't the only ones getting any yeah. support. If you're not on the list, you're fucked. <laughs> Absolutely, and that 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 oh, it's a it's a double edged sword and a dichotomy and a paradox. Right, it's all these things. So when Enzo on Air came in in nineteen ninety, we'd never had any sport for anything. Right, you couldn't other than Avalon making your video for nothing yeah. in the early days. Thank God, um, <laughs> there was nothing. Yeah, so in a way, it was an even playing ground. Uh, although it wasn't, you know, it's always hard. It's always hard. Um, yeah, but once the funding came in. Radio would then, where they would listen to your song for 10 seconds and throw mm. it in the bin, mm. um, they wouldn't, they would wait to end it on air, said, Oh, these 10 songs, we've gone through 400 songs. There are 10 songs here we, we like. Yeah. Us 10 people sitting in a room who've, from various walks of life. Right. Experts. Um, yeah. Experts. Uh, <laughs> these are, the, and so what happened then was they wouldn't even give, um, a second thought for all the other 300 and That's right. Well, it's still 90. the case. Still like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the worst things that's ever happened. Absolutely. Now everyone on the radio are relying on Instant On Air to tell them what they should play, but even then they're not playing them. Yeah. They might play one or two, I imagine. I, I'm actually a little bit out of that, so I probably could be talking out of line here, but right. this is my impression. And so even then they won't. And I, you know, as I said, 30 years ago they would listen to a bit of my song and say, oh, we don't like that. We'll put it, you know. Now, They'll, you know, they'll say to me, you know, we can't play it. And I'll go, we haven't heard it. <laughs> well, we can't play it. 
I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, so what if I had just written Imagine? Yeah. You won't even listen to it tonight. And in, in, right. the, in the 80s, they used to do that brilliant, which was brutal, but I loved it. <laughs> I can't remember what it was called now, but it was about they'd play them at night um, and get people to call up and say, do you like this or not? Is it shit or is it good? Right. And then people go, oh, I like that one. So, oh, they, so they pop it on, on rotate it through the night yeah. a couple of times. So people could actually hear it if yeah. they wanted to. And then if they got a bit of listening on it, then they would bring it into the other rotates. Right. That's gone. So we haven't even got that chance anymore no, of no. them going, well, do you like this new song by so-and-so? Do you like it? Because if you do, we'll play it. Yeah. It's a completely shut shop now. Well, I think the money kind of feeds into a loop, you know, because you go, well, we'll give this money to this artist, and then this artist is most likely to go to one of the go-to producers who will then go to one of the go-to studios, and, and those the people who those producers and the people who own those studios and so on are often on the board deciding who's going to get the funding, and it just goes in this big loop. And... and and these days, I don't understand how, uh, and I, I totally respect that it was probably different in the you know when it first started. But I don't understand how giving a lump of cash to one artist in the current climate benefits our industry. That doesn't no. benefit our industry. I, I no. think if we actually cared about our music industry um, and our government was really interested in building the industry, my opinion is that they should put the money and energy into infrastructure. We should have better venues with proper stages, better insulation, better sound systems. We should have support. We should have fucking parking. You know, Seattle put in parking for musicians. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, like loading zones, but just for musicians. Oh. <laughs> right? To, and to, and to, to us, it's like, Luxury. really? <laughs> A parking place, oh. you know what I mean? But if, if surely if we put our money and efforts into infrastructure, that would benefit all of us. Yeah, because it's the cost of playing and the yeah. cost of recording. And and there's nowhere for young bands to cut their teeth anymore. No, and there needs to be that too. Right. And there's, and there's no live music in our streets. Yeah. You know, you go to anywhere else in the world, Melbourne or, you know, you're wandering and you can hear music. You can hear music all the way down. Right. There's places it just doesn't happen like that anymore. Yeah. And yeah. if there are, they're being paid $50 each. Right. You know? <laughs> it's uh, pretty bad, you know. And oh, sometimes you know, I'm a, a wonderful musician who I won't name because yeah, is what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> who uh, is, is an icon in this country, a woman, and she she was getting very upset about the current state. Right. Oh, exactly what you're talking about, Danny, mm. and how how awful it is in so many ways. And I said, hey, hey, oh, I said, hey, let's just be really grateful mm. that we were around in the 80s and 70s, up to the 90s. It's after the 90s it all just started to turn to custard. Yeah. There was a good little run there in the 90s, I think, when the funding first came in. But now, and also all the musicians are now dealing with, when you've got the NZ on air being the pivotal thing for you, mm. and being constantly turned down, mm. it's a terrible feeling. I've it's applied, a mindfuck. I've, I've applied about five times yeah. in, in the last... Year or so, and then you go out and you know you go out into the street and well, oh, Jimmy, you know I love your music. I'm going really. Have you heard any? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I love you. And I'm like, mm, yeah. And so, so you get you're getting constantly knocked back. And right. then when when you're really sick, like I am, I right. go really. This is the end of my life. Right. And I haven't managed to get. And these songs aren't bad, and no one will even give them the time of day. I can't get any support for them. I can't get. Play, airplay for them and I'm going to die yeah and that's it right you know? and all that's got and then I was talking to my husband last night and he said he said oh but at least you've done it Debbie at least it's there at least you've recorded it I said yeah but no once I die no one's going to bother listening to it it's dead you know it's I don't over. know I mean maybe it'll be the opposite 
Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, there is. <laughs> I always think of Eva Cassidy when you say that. You know, like there is. I don't think that happens anymore because there, well, there's no videos. There's no, you know, there's just where would they, you know, there's a, such a huge glut of music on, on one level and then this tiny yeah. thin stream of the big guys. Right, know? yeah. But, you know, and then you die and there's, but I, and it's a terrible thing to say, but I always say, well, at least I've got something to play at the funeral, you know, <laughs> which is terrible, Danny. <laughs> but that's how you feel, you know, that's how I feel. You know, I wake up every day and go, really, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I saw someone post a couple of days ago, an artist, um, uh, I believe he lives in the South Island and having a real kind of revealing his pain and frustration oh, really? about yeah. about the industry and how he just can't get a break yeah um, and everyone jumped in and, and you know trying to be supportive oh did and, they and, well you know in, in, in a friendly way um a number of people that's good a number of people <laughs> i think were um were they told him the right answer which i think was don't um try not to get distracted yeah, from the music by itself. The, yes, by the pursuit of celebrity or fame or whatever. You oh, know yeah, what I mean? No, your your reason for doing it should be music. <laughs> yeah. And I think, well, yeah, that's true. That's definitely true, but it's mm. pretty frustrating. But people don't realise what it takes to make that that's music. That's right. And you want the music to go somewhere. Yeah. You, you, know, well, I mean, you make it so people can get joy from it. Yeah. You know, or, and if, if, you, yeah. if you know you're good, you know, and you're, and, and I mean... It's not really about seeing other people succeed that aren't as good, but it's just it's just like you feel like you deserve to be there too, you know? Yeah. Because I had I had a number of moments in the past where I thought, well, maybe I'm just delusional. Maybe I'm not very good. <laughs> I think every musician thinks that. Yeah. I mean, maybe just yeah. no one's telling me, but you're, you're shit. You know, no, that's why you're not yeah. on the list. But then I started to have all these giant moments in my career, and it, was, it became, it got to the point where it got silly, you know, where some international level musicians were including me and accepting me and promoting me and all the rest of it but the New Zealand industry would not give no, a shit no. well, the same thing happened to Moana you know Moana who's amazing is incredible and yeah. it took Germany to grab her is that right and they just love her and yeah. she sold more in Europe than anywhere else and that and, but then if you haven't got those you know if we could get out <laughs> you know, it would yeah. be a totally different thing yeah. but it's fascinating about that because one thing I, I remember Mike Chun saying to me in 1984 when I was bitching about radio right. <laughs> still am uh, anyway um, bitching about radio in an interview hmm. and he said to me you be careful Debbie he said the one thing the public hate is sour grapes right and I will say that when I'm mentoring young people because as I'm talking now, I'm banging on, I'm feeling really guilty cause, and frightened because people then go, they just write you off. They go, oh, you know, yeah. moaning, eh? Yeah. You know, your life, well, you've got nothing to moan about. You mm. know, you get that. And re really, it's unless people actually say it, it will never change. That's right. Yeah, I, I was on tour with Tommy Emanuel back in about 2009 and I was um, eating dinner with some of the crew. They were the local crew. They weren't the, the, on the tour. Um, and um, they were having a conversation about New Zealand on air. And I, I, I was um, minding my business for a while and then they brought me into the conversation. So I said a couple of things that I thought that was similar to what I said before. Um, and one of them looked at me and goes, oh, well, you're just bitter. Uh, and I said, bitter? Yeah. You know, I'm on tour with Tommy Emmanuel. Mm, yeah, <laughs> how can yeah. I be bitter? That's you know? how people perceive it. Yeah. They, so perce you, they perceive you, it as ungrateful and, and bitter and twisted. Right. And people hate that. And, you know, I don't know if th there's intent behind it, but I feel like that's a way of keeping us down. Mm, possibly. You know, how dare you have a point of view? You know, how dare you stand up for your rights and, and have some kind yeah. of any kind of esteem as a musician? How dare you ask for money? You should be doing it for the love of it. Yeah, and don't yeah. fucking complain. And you're lucky to be there. And you're lucky it. to be and, there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Do you think it does come back round to a bit of jealousy? 
by the you know with people who say that is it because they can't aren't or can't get on a stage and perform to people and they what they perceive that as <laughs> which... I, I know that's true about some people i've known <laughs> <laughs> yeah pseudo rock stars yeah. Oh, yeah oh i'm with these guys <laughs> yeah yeah oh, yeah, oh you've seen plenty of that oh you do get very intolerant yeah yeah um, but yeah do you think it maybe comes back to that oh you're you know you're so lucky to do what you do and yet there's I don't know. And, and and to be honest, actually, let's go back to this. We are in the sense that when I'm on a stage and I leave my body mm. and I'm having that experience of complete and utter joy. Right. And, and for some reason, every ounce of pain in my body goes. So I could get on that stage with a really sore hip or something. Yeah. Can't Once I start singing, I can't feel a thing. Yeah. And then it's crazy. It's mental. Yeah. And then you get off stage and the next day you wake up and you're in agony. Yeah. And I used to stand yeah. stand next to Margie Ehrlich, who's just the most adorable human. Um, and she, you know how she used to dance in Peking Man? Mm-hmm. She kicks her legs out, you know. Right. And I would wake up the next day and my, the side of my leg would be black. <laughs> From her kicking me, and because um, it gets pretty wild up in, the, in those days with the small stages and the heat and everything. Yeah, yeah. But um, and I used to stand on that stage and think, I wish every human on earth could experience what this feels like, but right. they don't and, right. and can't. And if you have that feeling, um, you get a bigger picture about the world. Yeah. But on the, in an earthly way, it's actually a very hard life to have chosen. Um, and gee, there's so few musicians I know that own their own home. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or and if they do, they they made their money in the past. Yes. Or they or they married someone who had a job. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. But that's that's everyone these days anyway. Job, in the current yeah. housing climate, if exactly. you own a house, it's because someone gave you money. Yeah. Exactly. The money came from somewhere. It wasn't from you. <laughs> you didn't save it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think there's that's really hard to bitch and moan about it, but. Um, but I must admit that frustration of New Zealand not just automatically playing New Zealand music first and yeah. then everyone else, oh, I'll see what else we've got coming in from overseas. Right. And that's what they tried to do in the early 90s. Karen Hay and Mike Chan did this huge campaign about getting a quota mm. and they were bitching about 15%. And so we got this brilliant guy, well, not when I said we, it wasn't me, but I felt like I was part of it, Michael Higgins. Yeah. was an MP from Ireland who came out and said, look, we play... I was, going, I was going to do an Irish accent. I hope you and follow through. Um, we play 90%. No, that was really bad. Uh, no, it's like 90% or 100% Irish music. Yeah. And he was going, why can't you do that? And right. why can't we? Why are we? And the other thing that drives me crazy, as much as I love these bands and, you know, really respect them and appreciate them, why are we now having a Queen and Elton John revival? We, they have already been thrashed through three decades mm-hmm. over and like these revivals they have same songs yep. over and over again since I was 13 or 14 at high school when Bohemian Rhapsody was played through the loudspeakers on the deck of our tuck <laughs> shop it's still going round and round yep. and round and then they're filling up these these airwaves with, that could be filled up with brilliant New Zealand music but there's still an attitude we can't be as good now. If Brian May came here and had a chat to radio, they go. People thought we were shit when you saw their reviews early on. Right. Everyone thought they were shit too. But you've got to give them a crack. Yeah. And unless you do it, and then the public will tell you. And that's the thing. It's the thing about when the cats away. We looked shit on paper. Why? Um, oh, because it was just you know covers band five girls right. on the road. You know. But there's something else going on that's this magic that happens that only the public will pick up. So yeah. the, 
you you do a show in, um, in say New Plymouth or or Manawatu Stadium or wherever it is, and and all the people that are normal humans come into that room, yeah, and then you play to them, then they go, yeah, this feels. <laughs> Amazing, because it all comes down to how you feel, mm. how things make you feel. Right. So that those those people go home, they would love us forever. We've got this massive groundswell of um, people in New Zealand who just have seen our live shows and love us because they felt us. Yeah. And they felt our hearts, you know. So that's what they they do. They go away, but radio doesn't get that feeling. But they go, why are they so popular? Why, you know, every time we went on the road, the writers or the critics would say. Oh, it's going to be a disaster. No one's going to come. Right. Like, just, just, and we would just be packed. Yeah. And they go, how is this happening? How is this happening? It's because it's a heart thing and a soul thing. It's bigger than, you know, a song in a way. So, But um, I, I think you're exactly right. And I think that's one of the reasons why having committees deciding who's going to like what is a load of rubbish. <laughs> because, you know, in the old music industry in the early days was always based on, you know, the, the audience liked an artist yeah, like and there was actually a gigging scene yeah so you know there were good venues yeah you can't sound good in, lo- in in our local venues here no no you know, all made of concrete and glass and steel the oh, snare yeah. drum blows the top of your head off you know how is any bang going to sound good in that so how do you establish oh. you know a, 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 a loyal fan base when you can't even sound good in one venue and there aren't many venues no you know so there's very it's very hard to get any kind of groundswell that would then grow so, up you know, and our modern version of that, of course, is social media. But we all know that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, no, no. It means nothing. It's just yeah. Whew, 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 yeah. You know, um, yeah. We were we were really um, lucky because we had this. Th- uh, what were they called? Oh, new music management mm-hmm. in the eighties. Mike Corliss, and he oh, said, Mike. Yeah, 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 do you know Mike? Oh, yeah, I met him years ago. Yeah, yeah. he set up. A touring circuit in New Zealand, and in Auckland at that point there were seven pubs you could play in, and right. you play all week except Sunday. Yeah. So you start, you play at Windsor Castle on Monday, and then go right. out to Windsor Park. You know, and all they're all apartments or churches now. Um, but he set up this touring circuit, so we'd we'd jump on it, and people get got to know that that's where the bands come through, and it became Monday night was always Nelson. Yeah. So that was the night that everyone in Nelson went out to see bands. Yeah. So no one came through on Saturdays. So Mondays <laughs> were huge in Nelson. Anyway, they go around. Um, and it's just the way it worked, right? And you just keep going round and round. And out of that, you get a bit of a groundswell. And then, you know, then you take your records to radio and maybe they'd play it. It was sort of, a, it was hard, but it was different. Right. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I think you're talking about the different touring circuits. And funnily oh, enough, yes, I, I saw someone structure. I saw mm. someone post on Facebook this morning who was who was a musician from one of those bands. Yeah. And they and their comment was, I think, like, man, we used to tour hard back then. Yeah. And it was like all the tour dates was like every day. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, often I didn't have anywhere to live, uh, <laughs> so I would sleep on people's floors between tours. Right. So we were touring all the time. Yeah. Uh, we never made any money, but. But you didn't lose money, and you could eat, and it was almost harder to come home. And you mean, and and that mean also means you're connecting with people. You know, so time. you are conne- you are actually building yeah. a fan base, and you're building up your songs, and, and you're honing your craft. Yeah, honing your craft, and yeah. the bands were brilliant then. Like this, we're talking, you know, the Blams and the Mimis, and you're just playing all the time. Yeah, um, and it's sort of. It, it, I remember, you know, I've told the story a lot, but just it, it ties in with this. We'd built up quite a big fan base, unaware, I know, with, and I didn't involve the industry at all. Right. So I didn't want to have anything to do with that. I didn't want, and this is probably an interesting thing, I didn't want anyone, man, telling me, 
<laughs> yeah, to fair, do. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the men in the industry yeah. telling me what to do, what we should do, whether we should, you know, I've had, I had actually in those days had people saying, oh, you should all dress like this and you should all dance and you should choreograph your shows. And everybody that even uttered half a sentence like that, yeah. they were gone. Right. I was pretty brutal actually, Danny. There will yeah. be a few people out there that will remember that we looked Really sweet, but you did not mess with us. And but you so, had to be, right? You had to oh, be tough. You had to be tough. Otherwise, yeah. it would have been a mess. It would have broken up. Yeah. We had to be very, very, very firm and very, very direct of what we wanted. Mm. So that's why, that's the main reason uh, we ended up doing everything ourselves. Yeah. Because there were people who come in, the, hey, little ladies, oh. what about, uh, I think we should, uh, yeah, well, you should, you know, God. And they were like, honestly, for less than five seconds, out. Right. So we were building up this fan base. Yeah. And I knew that the public had already grabbed us. I knew that the public had gone, there's something about you women that we love. Mm. So I, I went to a record company and asked them to release Melting Pot. And they went, <laughs> Oh, no, don't be silly, not a real band. Um, and uh, we don't think that's going to work. Right. I was told that a lot. So, that, so they just saw you as a touring show, not, yeah, a, not, a, not, a, not a band that released not anything. not real and not, you know, and right. so, yeah. And, uh, and I sort of uh, knew in the back of my head that we were quite big at that stage. Yeah. And I, I said, okay. And he said, but, you know, we really respect you, Deb, and we'll, we'll pop it in the shops and for you if you do pay for everything and get it, you know. Huh. So so that's what we did. And um Wow. And they put it in the shops and they they said we're not we're not going to promote it or anything. We've got no no budget for it at all. And they put it in the shops because it went number one, I think, first week. <laughs> I think first or second anyway, very quickly. And on they, the back of a video or how did it get to number one? I believe it was because we'd built up this amazing fan base around right. New Zealand of we were already at that stage playing to we were turning people away, you know, yeah. turning hundreds of people away at our door, at the doors. We were, we were putting 1,250 people in the glue pot, which had a capacity of 600 <laughs> uh, at that point. And so I knew we already had the groundswell of the public, but yeah. the industry just would not let themselves see it. And as you said earlier, there was no model for that kind of thing. They're like, what? There's four or five of you across the front of the stage. What kind of <laughs> nonsense is that? Um <laughs> <laughs> and um, whereas I and I saw it very much as a as um, an, an umbrella for five of us with our own individual who we we were all different we yeah. all had different voices we all had different taste in music um, and it being this lovely little arena we could all bring ourselves to and right. if you look at our shows or the documentaries we're all so different yeah um, and that was what, what the beauty of it was in a way do you find do you think like we, we we're talking before about how uh, we, we get criticised if we have any kind of complaint or, or mm -hmm. critical comment. Do you yeah. think that's also fueled by the fact that most artists or musicians um, don't say much? And I, and and because in New Zealand it's a small industry, so everyone's constantly afraid of burning bridges. So they often won't say what needs to be said. Yeah. So we actually become our own worst enemy in a way. There's two things: the public, the public see us all the time as happy and buoyant, and 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 we're always in environments where they're having fun. Yeah. So the, their memories of, of, of bands is always 
pleasurable for them. Right. It's always great for them. They, they, that's a great night. The band were fantastic. Yeah. Right? So they, they they project that onto us. They won't know that you've had bronchitis all week and that you've dragged right. yourself on stage yeah. and had to take prednisone and you're just about dead. Yeah. Whatever. Mm. You know, <laughs> that where there's this other side to it. We don't show that side on stage. Right. So they don't want us to show that side off stage either. Mm. But also, I've always thought the New Zealand music industry is like there are too many seagulls for the bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always felt like that to me. You know, I'm more likely to sort of back off from that. So you throw yeah. throw some chips out, and you got forty seagulls, you know, right. trying to get that chip. Yeah. So yeah. and that's because of our population, and that has made it very hard. And so if you start bitching, yeah. oh yeah, it's very easy in a small industry for it to be shut down. Gone, I, I, I have this kind of love-hate relationship with this podcast. I think I I think probably every two days I think maybe I should end it. You know, because oh, really? because and people always give me really positive feedback that it's great to have like a transparent, honest conversation happening out there. Um but of course I think I mean everybody else is staying quiet and playing safe and here I am talking. Yeah, 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 I know. And we've <laughs> what, gone there, Danny. What am I doing? <laughs> what so, am I yeah. yeah, 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 who am I pissing off? But actually I think but they weren't going to do anything for me anyway. Anything that's, anyway. The, that's the thing. What are yeah, we scared yeah. of? The industry's not working. No, no. You know, so right. someone goes, oh, I'm not going to sign you. Well, I wasn't going to sign so the contract you anyway. anyway. <laughs> you, so, you know? so, so true. So you kind of have to snap yourself out of it and go, yeah. what the, f-? I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not personal. It's like, you no. know, we're not, we're not criticizing individuals. We're criticizing a structure. That's really that important point. Doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. I've got no ill feeling towards any individuals. No, me I just not. think the industry as a whole doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. It yeah. doesn't work. And it's, yeah. And, and unfortunately, there's smoke and mirrors, a lot right. of smoke and mirrors. And, and I'm like you, Danny, I mentor, or used to, not so much now, young people, you know, musicians. And right. I'd spent years doing that. And, oh, I feel so, you know, that they came to me and they'd go, oh, I, want to, oh, I want to be famous or I want to do what that person's done. And mm. I'm like, oh, I probably can't help you. Right. I, we, we have to focus on the music, yeah. the joy in the process, the, I mean, because that's all there is really. And then if you do happen to get signed up by a major, and um, then that's like winning lotto, and you've got about as much chance as that. I think less. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Someone wins lotto every week, don't they? Yeah, that's right. That doesn't happen in music in New Zealand, does no. it? Quite right. We get a we get a um, international breakthrough. What every ten years? Yep, at, at the most. Yeah, yeah. When you go think back before that, you know, think Neil sort of held that flew that flag for decades yeah. on his own. I remember at one of the awards, he goes, "Please, someone take this off me." <laughs> he did. He did. Most international airplays I remember yeah. I was in that room, and it had been like his fifty fourth year. Or something. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. I know it's an anomaly, and yeah. well, it's, it looks anomalous. The reality is it's completely contrived and um, and again some people will go well you're just being negative but but i think it's actually more positive to be able to look at what is happening and, and make the right call i use the uh, the analogy of the car how can you fix the car if you can't figure out what's broken with it yeah exactly right you, you know and yeah. and i think like if you want to try and and, and become a, an international superstar go for it but just know what you're getting into yeah yeah know that you'll wake up at 32 years old or 30 and go what yeah. The hell? And where am I? And who am I? And I, I don't have a job or money. Um, <laughs> but do you do you feel these days uh, with your health issues and so on? Do you give less of a fuck across the board in regards to speaking out or wasting time with idiots or whatever? Yeah, you do get that. I think that's more menopause though. <laughs> 
<laughs> you definitely do. Yeah. I don't know what, what, there's some element, there's some jigs, part of that jigsaw puzzle that's taken out. Right. And, um, and, and it changes everything. And then you just go, ah, oh, so sick of it. And you just, you do get very uh, sick of it. On the other hand, I am still highly sensitive. Right. So there's a lot of stuff I observe that I just can't look at. Yeah. Just can't do it. Mm -hmm. It's too hard for me. And, um, and because with, with heart failure, the thing about heart failure is that you can't increase the rate. Well, I can't. Right. Can't increase the rate. Mm -hmm. So... That was either exercise or nerves or joy. Yeah. You know, so if I joy. get... Yeah, joy. Yeah, oh, joy. You really rough. can't get excited, Jenny. Right. Uh, that we held to pay. <laughs> <laughs> Explosions. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... And, and because I'm... <laughs> Because I'm on massive doses of beta blockers, right. thank God, uh, I can't actually get excited. Although, yeah, you, so, you um, can't if you tried. No, yeah, that's yeah, right. 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 <laughs> although um, I must admit, when my daughter got her A plus for her thesis the other day, it broke through. Right, it did break through. Yeah, yeah. and I was exhausted for days after that. But, <laughs> but, I hope this doesn't wear you out too much. Yeah, I will have to go and have a jolly good lie down on the lazy boy. <laughs> you know, I will. <laughs> but it's um. Yeah, it's uh, you do. You get to that point, but I just ignore it now. I mm. actually sort of I, I feel really sad for young musicians. Yeah, uh, and I worry about them, and I worry that there's an encouragement now for everyone to oh, you can be, you can do it. Everyone can do it. You know, yeah. so, you know. No, they can't. No. In the sense of not that you can't. What I mean is, there's nothing for you. Well, it's funny because because back when the industry was more functional, everyone was saying you can't do it. Yeah, that's now right. that the industry is not functional, they go, you it's can going, do it. Everyone can do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, everyone can, and they should. And like, and it's I'm almost not... like that's an important buffer. You got to tell everyone you can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Because the ones who will do it won't well, listen. They, and they'll fight through it. <laughs> exactly. Because they can't help it. You can't put them off. No, exactly. <laughs> no, no, I, I totally agree with that. I've been yeah. quite concerned about that. Yeah. I've given my life to that, you know, pursuit. And I have nothing else that I've got. And who's going to employ me? Because I haven't got my certificate from AUT. Right. Yeah. I've faced all that myself. Have you? Yes. Yeah. And, and somehow I was lucky enough to diversify within music. You know, I, I originally just wanted to be a songwriter like most other people. Yeah. And um, and there was a point where I, I started to sort of on accident get relatively good at the guitar. And I thought, actually, <laughs> so if, I le if I work a little harder on this, I might be employable as a guitar player. Right. So then I started to think, well, I could be a, a solo artist or, a, you know, an original artist and a session musician. So I started to do that and just keep that conversation going. And I, I've only been able to hold a career together through diversifying. Absolutely. And yeah. and, and each of those things have sort of had their highs and lows. Mm. You know, but over, I mean, I'm still here. <laughs> and it forces us to do things that aren't comfortable that we yeah. make ourselves do. And then we go, oh, actually, that was quite a good challenge. Right, yeah. I've had that all my life too. And, we, you know, the country's too small to be just that guitarist in that band so what is the situation with the health thing like do you, are you on the list for a transplant or like i don't know anything about severe heart failure is that even something you want to talk about they yeah sure are they yeah. uh about th three and a half years ago i i just i'd been sick for a long time and right. i'd had um i'd had a, a valve replaced but because they cut into the heart and muck about and afterwards the heart started to i just didn't come right right you know they thought after they fixed my valve and before I had the valve done, it was completely pro, completely ruptured. Right. But before that, I was gigging and ruptured. Tons of yeah, just gone. Fuck. Which is quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can't breathe. Can your oxygen levels were just dropping exponentially. Jeez. So they had to do emergency surgery, but 
I felt better before that than I did afterwards. Oh, right. And I, 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 and I don't know why, and they don't know why. Mm. So I just started to deteriorate after the surgery in a different way. So I've got all these different problems, um, and I've just been declining. And then I went into uh, permanent atrial fibrillation, which for a lot of people isn't a problem, but for me, uh, my heart is so huge, it's like banging it over here against my ribs, and it's really distended and swollen. Mm. So it doesn't beat properly and, and and I'm at a point now where it's at about left ventricles twenty five percent. So at about, you know, just in the next few percent that's where they look at transplants. But they're trying to hold me at that place. Right. But I I know that I'm not good. Right. And um and then I've you know, I I don't know. So I'm I I'm in constant communication with the cardiologists and I see them all the time, and and you know, yeah. And I'm on all these drugs from hell. So you're saying you're trying to get on the list for a transplant? Is that what you're saying? The only thing about well, I'm terrified of that too because yeah. that's a shit of an operation, and mm. you you deal with a lot of horrible things after that as well. So right. the rest of your life, you know, you're on the immunosuppressant drugs and the anti-rejection things, mm. and the, and you're on that forever. And then you, as, as I said to me the other day, but and also to be, you don't know whose heart you're getting. Yeah. Could be someone that's been smoking meth for twenty years. You know, it could you know? What just could that happen? Yeah, just because they scrape someone. Oh, I thought it was a terrible thing. Oops. I mean, um, oh, that's so terrible. We are prone to say things like that. Oh my good, oh, goodness. What I mean is, <laughs> just because someone uh, dies uh, doesn't mean their hearts are good. Right. Right. You know. So, yeah. they, but wouldn't they test? They haven't got time because you've got. I think it's. I, oh, I look, see. I'm not sure exact, but let me. But I think it's about a five-hour turnaround. Right. Yeah. True. And they have to just grab. They have, probably have a quick look, quick, quick, <laughs> quick rummage. Any stones in it? Rummage, yeah. something, a bit of a shake. Blow you off know. the fluff. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> bit of a rummage. Check the size of it. Make sure it's sort of. And then they transplant. It. And I think that's part of the problem. That you don't right. know what you're getting. So it's a bit of a gamble. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's all that. So they try to hold you as human as they can. Yeah. But I'm really struggling with being able to do anything, which is at the moment is baffling them. And I mm. think it's uh, because my lungs. So I've got that going on. So I've just been referred to a respiratory person as well. But um, yeah, I've just I just never come right after that operation. My theory could be completely wrong. Right. Is that when you have um, valve surgery, they shut down your heart and lungs completely. Right. So they they shut the heart down. They shut the lungs down. But if you have a bypass, they don't. So they keep mm. everything working on a bypass. They just put suction cups on your heart and just sort of work around it. Right. Lungs are still working. Valves are a whole different thing. They put you on a heart-lung machine. Right. So the heart and lung isn't working, but the blood's being sent around. I think that my lungs didn't come back. Oh. Um, that when they reinflated them, and, it t- and you've got to stay with oxygen for quite a few days because if you stop, the lungs think they've died because they've been def- deflated for seven or eight hours. Wow. So when they get them going again, they they, th- they, th- they, f- they take the oxygen out. They keep deflating. Yeah. Um, they think, oh, we're dead, yeah. So I, there's something about that heart-lung machine, which I know they're dealing with with COVID-19. You know, yeah. they've yeah. noticed that people aren't coming back from that very well. I think there's something to do with that. But, you know, I probably thousands of cardiologists out there going, what a load of absolute bollocks. <laughs> um, but something happened in that surgery that I never really came right from. Right. Uh, and should have. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So what, what, what are they saying as a prognosis if, you know, if there's no transplant? Yeah, they won't tell you. They won't tell you, uh, right. At this stage. I have, although we do tend to skirt around that discussion. Mm. When you read the 
when you read about it, it's not good. Right. Um, it's not good. It's just a, a gradual decline. Yeah. And and that's it. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't bring a heart back. Right. So they can't. There's no there's no cure for heart failure. Yeah. So that's and I've declined in five percent in the last year. Right. So and so I've gone from thirty five to thirty to thirty five to twenty five to thirty in the last year. Right. And so where do you go from there? And I'm pretty sure that certain death is about twenty percent. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> you know, I think that's that's right. So, but I am actually getting to a point now where I'm going to ask you know harder questions. I, I'm sort of person that will avoid seeing people. Oh really. Mm. Even after all of this, yeah, because I'm a bit traumatized by it all, you right. know, and mm. and that makes a, sense. Yeah, God, because you know, I woke up an hour early from my surgery. Right. Oh, really? In ICU, and was wide awake, intubated, so oh. with the full thing done, and had to stay there awake while they and they couldn't take the intubator out because they had to, or the tube out, whatever they call it. Because, um, you know, they had to get the lungs going again, but mm. I was awake. And Why didn't they knock you out again? They couldn't. They couldn't. couldn't they, they, yeah, they couldn't. I was already in ICU in recovery. Right. I don't think the anaesthetist was there at the stage. It was a bit of a blur. But I was wide awake. And then and then I hemorrhaged from my central line. So they had real trouble with that and had a nurse leaning on my neck for 45 minutes with her elbow. And so yes. I was fighting them off because I was still sort of slightly woozy. Yeah. Um. And I've never been good with that since. <laughs> right. Understandably. Yeah. Yeah. I found it, and I've been a bit sort of PTSD since then, and yeah. and I hate needles now. Mm. I didn't really mind them before. And that sort of stoic, I can do this kind of way now, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> get away from me, my my head is numb. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, so I'm, I, I will avoid seeing them, and then I end up very sick in an ambulance. Right. And and most times I've ended up in hospital, which has been quite a few in the last few years, has been an emergency situation. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll avoid them like the plague. <laughs> but really, I probably have to just, you know, be more compliant, not compliant, but go and see them more. And And, and, and how does this change your view on life in general and family i mean do you appreciate things differently or more or well that's a big question <laughs> uh but i you know i think about how you know i think about my children mostly and yeah. i and i you know think about missing them yeah. i know that sounds weird but i'm terrified of leaving them right and um and not being able to do anything's the worst bit because yeah. what you've got is i can't even i can't exercise i can't exert I can't really sing. Mm. I can't do all the things that I used to love doing. I was a mad walker. Right. I used to love swimming. I used to do yoga. I used to. I loved it all, and it's all taken off you. And everyone goes, "Oh, that's okay. You can just rest." But then you spend all your time in a chair. Yeah. And I've I've got a pretty potent brain, um, as far as busyness, mm. and I all and so when you've got no nothing to apply it to, whereas before I would come up with an idea for a tour or a, or a show. And then I would make it happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, now I've got all these ideas. I've just invented a new smoke alarm, actually. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, what well, just then, or in the, in the last few weeks? A few, a few months <laughs> yeah. ago. It would have been great if it was just then. I know. Listen, that <laughs> just oh, this I moment. Can see it now. <laughs> so I've got all these ideas. I've got all these thoughts. I've got all these things, and I've got nowhere to put them. Yeah. And as a younger person, exercise was my way of dealing with my musicians. Uh, nature, which right. is mel naturally melancholic, naturally introverted, believe it or not, yeah. naturally um, sensitive, mm. highly sensitive to things. Now I can't 
I can't ameliorate that by, by going for a walk. I used to walk. I go, oh, feeling a bit stressed, feeling a bit anxious, I'm going to go for a walk. Well, when I feel stressed and anxious, all I can do is sit in my chair. And that drives me completely crazy. Yeah. Have you been doing anything like writing or anything? I write, but then I get so sick of myself. Because you get so sick of being intro- in, in, inward and, yeah. and writing. And then I'm like, oh, yawn. You know? <laughs> and people go, write your book, Debbie. But yeah. the thing is... That every time I think about writing it and writing my stories up, there's so many emotions attached to them right. that I'm scared of feeling them because my heart just doesn't you cope don't want the with stress. the adrenaline or yeah. the, the memories of those things. And it's very interesting. I also have a mm. huge empathy now for elderly people. You know, when you often go, oh, if, that, if my bloody father would just get up and go for a bloody walk, he'd feel so much better. And I now know it's that that's impossible. That. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah. I feel like, I feel as if I'm on a planet with. Four times the gravity. Right. Everything yeah. is hard and heavy, and yeah. I'm breathless within a couple of steps. And um, it's just, and there, living in that, you're just trapped in this body that you cannot get out of. Yeah, yeah. And when other people have a broken leg or something, you go, like my husband lately's had spine surgery and a new hip and a new, and he had broke his leg, but he, you know, and it's a major, but I know he's getting, he'll get better. He'll recover. And he'll feel better. Yeah. Whereas I know I'll never feel better. And right. that's, that's a horrible feeling. And it's quite hard to feel good about that, mm. that I'll never, and that, you know, if I let myself go there, I could get very sad. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't let myself go there much. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you get sick of. It being the main source of, not main source, but the main focus of every conversation that you have with people with illness. And then, then I feel like a loser. Right. Then I get this feeling of like, oh my God, they must be so sick of me, so bored with this. So how are you to be? Oh, not great. Right. Very hard. But what would that make you feel like a loser? Because I'm, because I'm a people pleaser. And right. because my, my self-worth is all tied into making other people feel good. Yeah. Um, and putting other people on a stage, and it's been my whole life has done that. I've mm. been doing that, and so now I can't do that. And you know, there are people who come over, and I haven't vacuumed. Oh my god! <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, oh no! They'll come over and they'll think I'm a loser because I'm vacuuming the floor. Yeah. And I actually look relatively okay. You know, I look normal. Right. Um, but it's when I move, so so people don't quite get what I'm feeling. Yeah. Because I look like a normal fifty-nine-year-old. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm so appreciative of you coming in and doing this. Oh, no, it's and, a pleasure. Um, and I love how deep we went. <laughs> yeah. Get those spl- that splicing tape out, Danny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that razor, bl- razor blade as we used to in the old days, you know. Yeah, well, I think it's all good. I think it's all I think I think if anything I incriminated myself. I think I threw myself under the bus. <laughs> yeah, I think we both did. I think we're like I think they'll never ever get played again on yeah. any radio yeah. station in the history of the world. So those people that weren't playing me before, they're not going to play me now. <laughs> Certainly not going to. Yeah. It's like you don't even exist now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll have to just do my own thing. Oh wait, that's what I've been doing You've for the last fucking 20, 20 years. years. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's been great. Thanks. Yeah. Right, I've been wanting to do this for quite some time because I haven't <laughs> had the opportunity, so let me do it. Okay. Um, if I can remember. Thank you to the guests, or guest in this instance. If you can remember what? How to do the outro. <laughs> the structure that we never established. <laughs> okay, now you're fucking with my flow. Thank you to the guest and thank you to the sponsors and thank you to the listeners. Is that how it goes? I think so. Yeah. And then yeah. you have to plug social media, which I care oh, about a lot. Right, because Danny loves social media. Yeah. Um, he's so a very, much value in it. 
<laughs> I heard the episode recently where you sounded off on it. Anyway, um, if you did like what you've heard today, please do share and um, let people know about the the show. We still like getting new messages from new listeners. Yep. I say we more Danny more obviously these days than I. Um, yep. but and then I'll, keep I'll, I'll collect today. those shares and pay my rent with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. But like it anyway because it makes us feel good when you like the shit that we do. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's what we do this for. Yes. To feel good. For, to feel good. Yeah. yeah. And. Um, We'll tune in next time for the second part of this conversation. Cool. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. <laughs>